I've seen a cathedral sending this brochure which lists all the anthems and oh, preludes yes, and postludes. You've seen that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And when I first saw that, I'm going, oh my, how can you go yeah, up with that? Yeah. But then I realized, oh, this cathedral had three musicians. That's Dr. Yoon Kim, concert organist and the organist choir director at Christ Episcopal Church in Dayton, Ohio. Today, she's sharing her approach to crafting creative recitals and how she plans choral and instrumental music over the course of the year, including right after Thanksgiving. This is Music and the Church. I'm Crawford Wiley, an organist in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee. And I'm Sarah Bariza, an organist and researcher living in Cincinnati. Today we're hearing from Dr. Yoon Kim. She is an organist and choir director living in Dayton, Ohio. Her doctoral degree is in organ performance from Indiana University in Bloomington, and she is a prize winner at regional and national organ competitions. She teaches, I know this because I've taken organ lessons from her, and she's also a prolific recitalist. She's been a soloist at the Piccolo Spoleto Festival, the Washington National Cathedral, and many other venues, including at conventions and the National Guild of Organists. She's also a recording artist. Her most recent album is this collection of beautiful, surprising music called Wild Card. This Wild Card album includes music by Brahms, Bach, and Vierne, but also a lot of unexpected music, like an arrangement of William Grant Still's Summerland and Robert Amp's Concert etude on an Australian folk tune, Pub with No Beer. <laughs> That's great. Yoon lives just a short ride up the road from me, so she came over for lunch this month, and we talked about the specifics of how she crafts her recital programs and her music at church. She's been at Christ Episcopal in Dayton since September 2000, so she has a lot of insight into shaping a cohesive choral season. First up, though, her thoughts on being an organist choir director. And for those who aren't familiar with what an organist choir director or an organist choir master is, it's just someone who fills both roles. Which a lot of us do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. There are lots of pros to this kind of position, but it requires a different kind of choir directing. And Yoon has some thoughts on how to make that a better experience for both the organist choir director and the choir. So I asked her what advice she has for someone just starting out in this kind of position. Don't worry. <laughs> Just like anything, Be practice <laughs> and through experience, you get better and you try different things and you come up with things that work for you and for your choir. Conducting from the console can be a little bit challenging. It starts with like head nodding, of course, and then oftentimes you have to rearrange some notes so that you can play a chord with one hand and two feet so that the other, hand, hand, yeah. Yeah, the other hand can conduct, yeah, really. Yeah. So that requires a little bit of practice. And then also, um, don't forget the eye contacts. Use your eyes because the eyes can communicate very well. And of course, the, the choir members have to see you for this to happen. So during the rehearsal, for certain spots, I tell my choir members to actually literally write down, see Yoon or something for certain spots so they can actually see me. And then I use my lips, meaning for certain entrances, I literally sing a few notes you know, with them, or at least open my mouth. So Is that, that they like, know. so you're cueing a breath? Exactly, yeah. Or close your mouth when it's time to just cut off. Things like that, really, body languages, all kinds of body languages you have to use. I actually try to make those things simple as possible. I try not to make it complicated and do lots of gestures, really. But instead of that, I use the, the quiet rehearsal time to really encourage my choir members to really learn the music as a whole. 
meaning rather than just uh, learning their parts and counting rhythms, you know, those are basic things they have to work on. But after that, I encourage them to really listen to each other and really listen for some harmonies, certain harmonies that we are creating and how beautiful that is. Just feel that. I encourage them to learn the accompaniment part also. Certain parts, I'm so busy to really give any kind of cue, you know, because the, the accompaniment oh, part is so, so but if they know the interlude and they right. know where to come and in, then, then they can then come in. And then if they really know the accompaniment part, how it mm -hmm. goes, then they can just come in, right? They know very mm -hmm. well. So those parts I would go over and over with them so that they feel confident and just come in without seeing me or anything. From the singer's point of view, I think this way of music learning and performing, it can be quite liberating experience, you know, because you don't have to always follow somebody's conducting all the time, right? You don't have to see anybody, but it's just really relying on your listening, feel the music, Basically, ride the wave and simply sing. Yoon works in a church that follows the Revised Common Lectionary. These set scripture readings give inspiration for music planning, not just each Sunday, but over the course of its three-year cycle. Yoon has been at Christ Episcopal since September 2000, so I asked her about both short-term and long-term planning. I have basically three big planning sessions a year. So summertime, I usually plan music from September, you know, the beginning mm -hmm. of the choir season through the mm -hmm. end of December. And then usually right after Thanksgiving, right right after Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, the early Advent season, I find that like time... I had my turkey, it's time to yeah, plan. <laughs> for some reason, that time, I feel very peaceful. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a really beautiful. And at that time, for some reason, I like to listen to a lot of anthems, listen to CDs and... I typically work on music from the Epiphany through the end of the choir season, which is on Trinity Sunday, which mm -hmm. falls in May or June. And then during the summer months, we have no choir, so all I need to plan early is hymn planning. Picking out hymns go faster. Oh, yeah. So early summer, I just work on the hymns. So three big planning sessions really worked for me, and I think it will work for most of parishes, you know, small and medium. How, but, how far in yeah. advance do you plan preludes and postludes then? So I have a music planned out from the September 3 end of Oh, December. and that includes your preludes and postludes? No, 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 no. Okay. Just the hymns and anthems first. Okay. Yeah. But then when you see your hymn list and your anthems, especially hymns, it really gives me ideas based yeah. on the hymn tunes of that day. So it's just so much easier. And also, if you see your anthem list and, oh, there's this anthem that requires a cellist, then you can reserve somebody right now rather than just try to find somebody mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. you and you could I mean? theoretically also plan yeah. a prelude or something. Oh, sure, sure. So yeah. somewhat long-term planning is necessary for that reason rather than trying to do anything week mm -hmm. by week. That's mm -hmm. a little too yeah, that's scary. scary. <laughs> Many church musicians give occasional recitals, but these concerts are, or should be, different from the kinds of recitals we learn to do as part of formal schooling. I asked Yoon about how she crafts her programs. For organ recital repertoire, I, I don't really think about accessibility to my church or anything like that. 
I think of my recital rap as a separate thing. And of course, you know, if I can play some of the pieces during the, the services, of course, that would be great.、Mm-hmm. And I often do. Some of them, they're just,、mm, just don't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But most of the time, it's of course, you know, a lot of them do work. So I do try to pl- you know, play as a prelude or postlude or things like that. But the organ recitals, Really depends on the instrument you play. Yeah. Because simply, organs are just so different from one、mm-hmm. another. When I get an invitation to play、uh, a recital in a certain place, first thing I have to do is find out about the organ,、mm-hmm. you know, what kind of organ it is. And I try to visit the venue if possible. And that's just the best way to assess、um, the instrument. But if I can, because of the distance, then I try to gather as much information as possible about the organ and the,、um, the room it's in. And then I think about the repertoire that I think would work best for the particular instrument.、Mm-hmm. And then, of course,、um, in order to know which works best, You have to know a lot of pieces. And so I come up with a program that I think would work for、um, this particular instrument I'm about to play. And then I work on the、um, order of the program.、Mm-hmm. And so I come up with、uh, like two, three different orders and then I roughly play them、oh, on the organ. Oh, and you see how it feels. Yes, because you, it's an extremely important step in my opinion because the, it has to flow very well from the top to the bottom. About that point, I usually see this one or two missing pieces to complete the program the way、mm. I want. It could be anything. It could be like after this wild piece, exciting piece, you need a little palate cleanser,、mm-hmm. you know?、Yeah. Or it could be something lighter piece between two heavy pieces.、Mm-hmm. And then it could be just. Something stylistically very different just for the sake of variety. I、mm-hmm. just need something right there. When that happens, I'm just really on the quest for finding that missing puzzle. And I do a lot of listening, you know, go、yeah. to you know, YouTube and, and then listen to CDs and all kinds of things until I find that right piece. So that my final product, you know, the final program that I would like to see is something first grab the attention of my audience at the beginning. And then that would take my audience a good ride、mm-hmm. until the very end of the concert.、Mm-hmm. A lot of thoughts go into my program. I, you know. You really craft, craft that. Yes, global, it's global extremely、scale. important. You gotta have that first, and then you work and practice. But you just have to have the right program. You know, when we were in school, of course, you know, there are repertoires we are supposed to learn and then play before you graduate.、Mm-hmm. So the impression you get is that for organ recitals, you play these big pieces and then you play this and you do the best、um, you can for whatever instrument you play. So、mm-hmm. that's how organists think, I think. And、mm-hmm. I, I thought it that way too.、Mm-hmm. And it, oftentimes, even the repertoire takes precedence over the instrument because、exactly. you have to、yeah. do whatever that repertoire、yeah. is. But, but in my experience, it's got to be the other way around the organ, the one you're going to play. You really have to know the strengths and weaknesses of this instrument. And your job is to bring the best out of this instrument, right? Because、mm-hmm. you want that to shine,、mm-hmm. okay? And that's your job. And so for me, it's just so much easier and more fun, actually, to really know the instrument and find just the right pieces. 
for that instrument. And then it's, it's, yeah, it can be kind of difficult, but then that means you have to do lots of listening and trying different things, you know, on different organs and then just get better and better, you know? So it's, it's been fun. That is, that yeah, I've been having so much fun. I love giving recitals. It's a big part of my mission in my life. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. That was Dr. Yoon Kim. You can read more about her work at her website, yoonkyongkim.com. That's yoon, Y-U-N, kyong, K-Y-O-N-G, kim, K-I-M, dot com. Next up, our In the Field segment, where we dig into the details of church music practice. So it's actually really good to hear someone as successful as Yoon talk about kind of feet on the ground stuff that all of us deal with, like planning your repertoire. Planning your repertoire in the vagaries of a volunteer choir. I'm currently working in a church where there are paid section leaders. And when you have an expectation that your leading soprano is going to be there every single Sunday, you can plan with the assurance that you aren't going to have to change your anthem if suddenly you have no one who can hit a high G. Oh, right. Whereas if you're working with a volunteer choir, and even even if you know in advance, more or less, you know, if you have a calendar where people can mark their absences, but people still get sick, you know, especially during the winter season. People have all sorts of things come up. Yeah, or you end up with a snowstorm happening, you know, right before a Sunday morning, and suddenly it's you and two tenors and an alto and you got to figure out like what are we going to do so <laughs> yes one of the things and i guess this is to jump the gun a little bit but one of the things that i always like to have is an anthem that's basically a really simple two-part anthem that we could perform with just about any choral forces an upper voice and a lower yeah. voice yeah and and oftentimes where like the upper voice will be soprano tenor and the lower voice will be alto bass or something like that. And so that you know, if you've got that in your back pocket, you can pull it out in case of an emergency Sunday. In case of a blizzard. Yeah. What anthems do you have that fit that category? Oh, actually, one of the ones that we just did this past Sunday is Hal Hobson's I Lift My Eyes. It's simple, but people are really moved by it. It's it's very lovely music. So it's basically the kind of music that fits that particular category of need. Yes, exactly. But I don't think, because it's so well written, I don't think anyone listening thinks, aha, they are pulling out the easy-to-do anthem. You know, I don't I don't think it comes across <laughs> that way. But presumably your choir also knows it well, so if you do have a Sunday where you do need to pull something yes, out... Yes, precisely. We don't even have to have been rehearsing it. So how do you go about planning your choir music? You have an exclusively volunteer choir. Choir, right? Yeah, entirely volunteer and very dedicated, but we don't necessarily have the same people showing up every Sunday, which I feel like that's really normal, actually, for a volunteer church choir. Oh, absolutely. So what I do at the beginning of the season, well, actually, this is probably late summer, is I'll get out all of the anthems that I want to do for that season. So without even necessarily looking, because we have we have a, a relatively limited repertoire, so I can't just look at the lectionary and say, ah, what anthem that I may have heard once or that I've heard on the CD is going to go great with this lectionary reading. But I'll look at the anthems that we have and then 
try to match them more or less with Sundays where they are not inappropriate. And I bet you're also looking at music that you can have that's new. Yes. Like you're not so, doing all music that they know. Right. So look at, you know, maybe three or four new anthems. And then the tricky thing is to try to plan them so that we do some of the easier anthems that they're already familiar with at the beginning of the year, and then plan so that we have some more difficult ones, or just ones that we're not as familiar with a little bit later on, and then maybe have one really difficult anthem. When you hand music to the choir at the beginning of the year, are you handing them a packet of music? Are you giving them a few anthems and then adding to it as the season moves along? That's a good question. So we start, and I guess the truth is that I've changed this every year that I've been <laughs> at my present post. So this year, what we've done is get the binders and put in whatever loose leaf, you know, octavo anthems we're going to do all the way up to the beginning of Advent. And then I also have a few collections that I use, which just like to throw in a plug for good good anthem collections are worth their weight in gold. So how do you do it? Because I don't think that you have quite as many collection books, right? No. Well, I'm currently in a church where there's another choir director. I really love what he does with the choir, and he can do it because we have paid section leaders. You can plan in advance and know that- Which is totally different. <laughs> it's totally different. And if you have, you know, if your tenor's gone, there's a sub who's filling in for them. So you always have your parts covered. So when you do that, you can plan really far in advance. So we actually, each half of the year, basically from like, say, September until Epiphany, a whole list of everything that we're doing every Sunday. You have a list of what anthems are for each Sunday from the beginning of the year. Exactly. And you can more or less yeah. depend on that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 you don't have to switch it around. And one thing that I really like about that, one, I mean, it's organized, which is great, but you can yes. also use that as a um, advertising tool in that oh, you have yeah. someone who's thinking, oh, I might join the choir. And you can say, well, this is the rep that we're doing. Hey, we're doing good rep. You want to join our choir. So people will right, know yes. what they sign up for. But I think it's only really possible if you have either a very large choir or a choir with paid section leaders where you just have that expectation that your parts are covered. Right, because there's a certain amount of flexibility inherent in working with an all-volunteer choir, you know, that, okay, it's fine. It's good that we're going to switch these anthems around because we're working with the forces that we've got. And sometimes it takes a volunteer choir longer to learn something or they learn it right away. You don't want to have your choir sing something that they're not prepared to sing. Oh, precisely. No, I remember one year I... I Oh, I felt so guilty about this afterwards, but I made the choir sing John Rutter's Christ the Lord is Risen Today, which is the really peppy one. I hadn't spent enough time in rehearsal on it, and I thought, you know what, we're just going to soldier through this. Oh, and it was boy. Easter Sunday morning, and at that time I was still trying to do a separate communion anthem for the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday morning. Oh. So we had done one anthem the night before, and then this anthem on Easter Sunday morning, and I think the choir were just terrified. And I thought afterwards, that's a learning curve for me. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that <laughs> and you again. you know, there's no shame in repeating repertoire. Like at my last position, I had the choir sing basically music that they all knew all through Holy Week. And I think we had a new anthem or maybe two new anthems on Easter Sunday morning. But all the Holy Week services, it was music that they knew. And that's okay. Yeah. And you can repurpose music that you've used earlier in the church year for various yes. things. Yeah. Especially if you have a good flexible text. And in churches that have a Eucharistic focus to their Sunday worship services, obviously texts that are Eucharistic in nature work really well at any time of the year. But I'm thinking also you can use a text like the Faber text, There's a Whiteness in God's Mercy, works really well for various gospel readings. I know that I've used it in the past for the reading of Christ and the Woman at the Well, but it works, it works well for a number of different things. And if you think textually, 
and kind of creatively, you can find good excuses to program some of the same repertoire twice in a year. Or maybe even yeah, and three that also times, just depends. depends on the choir that you have and where they are, what kind of rep they like to do, where you are in your position with the choir. If you're a new person at the church, it's different than if you've been there for 20 years. Yeah, and I think with a volunteer choir, you want to challenge them because like volunteer choirs will do amazing yes, and stuff. You, you, want, like, you want music that the choir can feel good about. Yes. So, that, for instance, by the time that they sing a major anthem, you know, something that took a lot of work, they are yes. comfortable with it. Planning organ rep is actually very different, I find, or instrumental music. Music because it's so autonomous. Yeah, you don't have anyone telling you exactly what rep you need to play. <laughs> exactly. And you can move things around really easily. Oh, I didn't learn that piece as well. I'll put it on for another week and I'll do something that I know. Actually, a question I have. Do you list your preludes and postludes in the orders of worship? Yes. Yes. Okay. So how... Do you not? Oh, I do. I do. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask, how much constraint does that put on you in terms of learning new rep? Because there have been a lot of times that I've just substituted something at the last minute, and I've always felt kind of guilty about it because there in the order of worship is listed one piece, and I think, oh, but I'm not playing oh, that this yes. week. You know, I feel very compelled to play what I've said I'm going to play once it's in the bulletin. Uh, I think this was a couple months ago. I contacted the secretary like on Friday and I was like, have you printed the bulletins yet? And she hadn't. And I had her change. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, oh, that's really oh, good. I, re I remember it was the, it was this summer and um, I was doing a box series with a bass soloist. It was wonderful. And I was over ambitious in planning my prelude and postlude all new box. Right, and right. I changed the prelude to meditation by Sarah Bariza. <laughs> that's always good. Yeah. Yeah. Reverie by Crawford. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you just have to you have to go with what you're going in. I feel like I'm in a weird position with repertoire because for years I was subbing. I was in graduate school and I was living in North Carolina for part of the year and Ohio for part of the year. So I didn't want a regular church position. And when you sub, you can repeat repertoire a lot. Oh yeah, and you don't have to create any kind of arch over the yeah, course of the church. And you don't have to year. like pace yourself. You can't think like, "Oh, I've done big bombastic postludes all this time." Right, precisely. I'm thinking of like, towards the end of my pregnancy, I found that I could maneuver my body more easily playing toccatas. And I did these big toccatas like four weeks in a row and then I had a baby. Oh. And normally I would never do big toccatas every single Sunday for weeks on end. Oh, yeah. You're like, I'm the splashy organist. Like, that's not, yeah, no. <laughs> So how, how do you go about planning repertoire over the course of a year? Well, now that I've been in a more permanent position for the last couple of years, what I do is I plan the bigger rep, the more difficult rep, and especially the rep that I want to learn. I plan that further in advance. Oh, I think I want to do that on Christmas Eve. I think I want to do that Thanksgiving, those sorts of pieces. And that is pretty far out into the future. And then sometimes I fill in... I might even pick something the week of. More often, it's more like I'm picking it a few weeks out. I was very organized this year, and I planned out all my rep through, like, for four months, I think, which was very unlike me, but I think it's because I'm actually able to do so now, and I'm not in graduate school, so I have, like, mental space for planning that doesn't involve research. It's kind of the substitute for your organists in school approach of, of knowing what big rep you're going to learn for your recital. You can say, okay, recitals, also that's a different subject, but what large rep do I want to learn over the course of? I really like that approach, actually, because then you kind of gap plan your voluntaries for the year. Yes. You're also pacing yourself in terms of learning new music and in terms of repeating stuff that you've done before, because you don't want to get sick of the repertoire that you know. You want to spread it out enough that you aren't getting tired right. of it, your congregation isn't getting tired of it. 
One thing I wanted to say about playing the same music that I fell out of the habit of keeping track of what I played when I was subbing for all those years. Because if I was at the same church, I would just look through my emails and be like, oh, have I done that Duraflay piece at this church before? You know, and I would just look through my emails to the secretaries. But previously, I had been in the habit of actually writing on my physical copy of music, an abbreviation for the church and the date. So not a spreadsheet, not something on my computer, but in the physical copy, I had a record of when I had played the music. Oh, that's really interesting. It's a great system. I learned it from my organ teacher in high school, Gerald Carper. And I'm trying to get back into the habit, but I've been out of it for so long. It's hard for me to get back into it, but it's so nice to see your music and be like, oh, I did that last year. Maybe I'll wait a little bit longer. It's really nice without having to like access your online records, your computer records. Right. It allows you to get a sense also of how likely something is to still be in your fingers. You know, if you're you're looking through music for the year and you see, oh, I haven't played this actually in three years, judging from the cover, you know, which states the last time I played it was three years ago, I'm probably going to need more than a week to work on this. I'm also trying to be better at leaving, leaving a little crumb trail for myself when I come back to music so that I kind of remember, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be going in terms of keyboards. And obviously you aren't always on the same instrument with the same, you know, number of manuals and stuff. But Oh, you know, speaking of that, I just have the weirdest little tip, which makes my life so much easier now, is if you, if you go to the office store and you get the paper tape, I don't know what it's called. It's some scotch tape thing where it's it's like a roll of thin paper, but it's sticky on one side. And you can use that to stick in your music and write your pistons on. And it's so much easier than writing in your music, you know, and erasing, rewriting, erasing, rewriting. That also sounds so much easier than what I currently do, which is rip the sticky bit out of a post-it note and pray it actually sticks. <laughs> I do not recommend this oh, strategy. Oh, oh, this is this is so much better than that. I keep a roll of this on the organ console at St. Jude's. So I'm going to go fantastic. buy this as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> Y'all, I tracked it down. It's called Post-It Full Adhesive Roll. It's basically like the sticky part of a post-it on a tape roll. Pretty cool. comes in a lot of colors, and you can get it online. I've got a link to it at musicandthechurch.com slash blog slash episode two. Okay, back to the conversation with Crawford and me. Okay, so another question I have is, how do you feel about playing the same repertoire for certain Sundays? Like, for instance, on Pentecost, I almost always play the Duraflay variations on Vanny Creator as the prelude. I just wonder, what are your thoughts about that? Because I think, well, some pieces of music are so beautiful and seem so fitting to a particular liturgical moment that I don't mind playing them every year. I kind of look forward to it. If you look forward to it, do it. So that doesn't that doesn't seem lame no. then. You know? Oh, no. Okay, no. good. I'm thinking back to how we were saying, oh, if you want the choir to sing the same music at Holy Week, go ahead. I mean, who's going to be like, oh, boo-hoo, I have to listen to Stainer's God So Love the World again? (laughs) What a cranky pants, you know? (laughs) Don't be that person. Don't be that person, y'all. This comes back to what we were talking about planning, learning new repertoire, though, is that if you know that there is a large piece of music that you particularly enjoy playing on a particular Sunday or a feast day, you don't have to worry about learning new rep for that. Like, that's kind of one of your stationary things, you know, okay. At the same time, if you are conscientiously learning new music, you will also keep out of the rut of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Because we all know those people who've been playing the same repertoire for their whole professional careers, or choir directors who do that with their choir. Because you want to keep learning new rep and adding to it, and then also factor in that certain pieces seem really good for certain days. And sometimes a piece just seems tired after a while. And maybe it doesn't seem tired to the congregation, but maybe, I mean, you're the musician at the end of the day. You are the 
leading musician. And if it's tired to your ears, don't play it. Yeah, you have to play what you love, like what brings you joy. That is why I played the Duraflay Vandercutter variations on Pentecost, because they bring joy, you know? Like that's, that is just so much fun to play. Yes. So how do you go about planning hymns? Because I know that we have very different circumstances right now in how we are able to plan hymnody for the services. Right. So I generally meet with my priest, who's also a musician, and we enjoy planning the liturgies together. So we meet usually the week before, actually, to plan the hymns themselves and the psalm. Sometimes two weeks in advance for a season like Advent or Lent, where we more or less know definitely where we're going in repeating some repertoire, we may plan the entire season four or five weeks in advance. But for the rest of the year, it's usually a week-by-week basis. This actually reminds me of churches that have a more flexible approach to their lectionary, which actually at a Catholic church, you have a set lectionary. Right. It is similar to that in the sense that you kind of, you wait and see where you're going for that particular week. That means that you're planning your anthems and you're planning your organ repertoire independent of the hymns. Yes. So for instance, at the beginning of the year, I'll have all of my organ voluntaries planned out basically a semester at a time. I don't know why I still think in terms of semesters when I'm planning organ rep, but I guess old habits die hard. The church choir season basically fits two semesters. It does, doesn't it? So yeah, so I plan my organ rep in two semester chunks and more or less the same with the choir rep. But then hymnody and psalmody, I don't plan that until maybe the week before if we're sitting down in a meeting to discuss that, which means that I don't get to plan the organ repertoire to match certain hymn tunes, for instance. Yeah, you are. So, going to pick out chorale preludes that are specific Right, to based it. on whatever hymn we may be singing. Correct. I work in two churches with lectionaries. I have the Revised Common Lectionary in the Presbyterian Church, and then the Roman Catholic Church that I'm in has its own different lectionary. And it's interesting because there's an overlap. Usually the gospel is the same. Right. So you have whatever hymn you're planning to go with the gospel reading, you can probably, if you assume that the congregations know it. Well, How, how much I'll, overlap do you have between the congregations knowing the same hymnody? Well, it's actually more what's in the hymnal. And there's actually, not to get into the difficulties of Gather Comprehensive, but I'm continually amazed at what is not in Gather Comprehensive or what it, what is in Gather Comprehensive and the congregation doesn't know. <laughs> but anyway, that leave, leaving that aside. Let's save that struggle bus for another right, day. Exactly. I, I like to think <laughs> of it as I am doubly blessed with devotional reading as I prefer it for the services. Because I have yes. more scripture yes. in my life. And I, and I really do. I try to approach my hymn planning as a devotional practice for myself, which is kind of in bulk because I tend to plan at three seasons of the year. I plan for the fall, winter, and actually I plan all the way through Epiphany because who wants to spend Christmas break? Yeah, who wants to spend that like panicking about the music you're going to do immediately after you come back from Christmas? Yeah. Exactly. And if you can plan all the way through Lent in November when things are hopefully a little bit easier, it's nice if you can do that. Set aside a morning, set aside an afternoon. So like right now I have my hymns planned out for the Presbyterian Church through Epiphany. And what I actually do, I don't usually pick exactly what I'm going to use. Instead, I pick a handful. I have maybe three, maybe four hymns. This congregation sings about three hymns every Sunday. And I have this handful of hymns to choose from. So as I get closer, I can, sometimes we have a lot of guest ministers and I can work with a request from a guest minister, I can put that in. Or I can say, oh, actually, we're going to do a choir anthem in one of the hymn slots or whatever it is. I have a little bit of flexibility and I don't feel like I, oh man, I put in all that work choosing the hymns, making them perfect. It feels nicer to me to have that little bit of flexibility. Right. And I guess that's one of the beautiful things talking this over is is acknowledging our ability to oh, absolutely. to change things. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to feel any shame in altering something. I'm 
also thinking like in the moment of every single week when I send the hymn list and my music list to the secretary and to the choir director, I am also recalling just the most recent weeks. And sometimes they'll be like, you know what, we've really sung hymns in this particular style recently. Actually, why don't I pick this other hymn? Because I've, I've got several to choose from. I don't have to pick right, one or the right, other. Yes. Or you know yep. what, we haven't done a soprano descant recently. Oh, we're going to have this instrumentalist come. They can play a descant. Oh, this hymn would be great for it. Because, you know, some hymns work with that and some don't. Are you taking into account events that have exactly. recently been happening in the world? Like, we talked earlier about responding to national tragedies, but this can have an effect on even just an opening hymn. I remember one week after the hurricanes, we looked at our opening hymn and realized that there was this line about storms praising the Lord, and we were like, we Not cannot possibly week. sing this this week. This is just a terribly insensitive week to sing this. So we just changed the opening hymn at the last minute, and it was fine. Like, you can do that. I want to put in a plug for two of my favorite resources for choosing hymns based on lectionary readings. I'm really excited to hear this, actually. There's hymnary, which is a fabulous resource in so many ways, but the Methodists have a fantastic fantastic, fantastic resource, which I even go on. So when I'm planning for the Catholic parish that I work in, I go on the Methodist site and I see like, okay, what on the gospel reading is in Gather Comprehensive that I can choose because it just works well. And sometimes I choose all the stuff related to the gospel reading. So explain this. What is the Methodist site? It is UMC, so for United Methodist Church, umcdiscipleship.org. I'll put a link in the show notes. But if you go on there, you can look at their worship planning lectionary calendar, and it gives you all sorts of things. It gives you the seasons of the year. It gives you the week's hymns. It gives you ideas for preaching. It gives you ideas for planning, additional resources. But the hymns, and what I love about their hymn selection, is they're broad, which means it's not specific to a particular hymnal. So it's not specific to like traditional hymnody or contemporary music broad, 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 and it lists it by the lectionary reading, which is why if you're working in a Catholic church where there's just the overlap of the gospel, usually you can see what's just specific to that. It's not like lumped in. I also like the aspect of planning hymns in that you can teach to a congregation differently. If you know that you're going to be singing something that the congregation doesn't know as well, you can plan it for an instrumental piece. You can plan it for an anthem earlier in the year so that people have it at least in their ears. And what I do is I send, um, maybe, maybe some listeners have seen my singing through the year blog post series. It's basically for the Presbyterian church where I work so that people can see a hymn that we're singing that following Sunday and sing it at home, possibly learn it. And it right, also goes right. out in the church newsletter. So they can at home just click on the links in the church newsletter and listen to the hymns. Right. And it's a way to encounter hymnody outside of the church space, which I think is one of the best ways to encourage people to sing, you know, is to, is to make hymns their own. I want to encourage singing in homes, singing in cars. I want people singing hymns away from church. Yeah, you don't have to leave the hymns in the church pew. If the church has a means of disseminating that kind of information, like a church newsletter, I don't see any reason to not do that. If you know the hymns, share it with the congregation. The worst that will happen is people ignore it. And best case, people are singing and learning new music away from church, which is a gift. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Do we want to talk at all about working in churches where you aren't working with a lectionary? Because I'm thinking like, I haven't been the music leader, the hymn selector in a church without a lectionary. I've worked, I mean, I've worked in plenty of churches. I. So maybe that's something we'd like to hear from listeners. If you work in a church like that, how do you go about choosing your yeah, hymns? Yeah, actually, I would love to hear from people. I would also like to hear from people who work in churches where the minister or ministers or ministry team, where there's a lot more input into the hymn selection. Yes, I'm really interested in what people are doing for that. That's this week's episode of Music and the Church. How do you plan your music for the year? 
Our email is musicandthechurch at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or whatever source you use to listen to the podcast. Ratings and reviews will help other listeners find this show. 